Well, I should just get up here and offer a closing prayer. That was like the whole message right there. So that's awesome. That's a great kind of intro. Well, Doug began a message series last week called Generous Living, and he really helped us get started by understanding that if we really want or desire to be generous in our lifestyle, that we need to look to God uh, because God is a generous God, and God is the one who's the initiator of generous love. Uh, He created this world. Uh, He gave each one of us life. Uh, He gave his only son something that was probably the most precious thing to him. He gave that so that we might have a relationship with him. And so if we want to understand what it means to be generous, we need to look to our Heavenly Father, who's the one who is uh, the giver of all good things. Now, this morning I want to focus on being generous with our financial resources. The Scripture tells us in Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money in of itself is not evil, but what he's saying here is that the love of money is evil. And the dangers of money and wealth often can wreak havoc in our personal relationships. It can really damage our professional uh, experience. And tragically, the same kind of thing can happen even in the local church and sometimes even in the body of Christ. But under God's guidance, money that is strategically and generously given can accomplish great things. And God can help us to do that. But, of course, we live in a fallen world, don't we? One in which our culture and our money conspire to own us. And they, they constantly whisper, sometimes even scream, the more is better. And they often relentlessly attempt to carry us away from true life. Now, Jesus talked a lot about true life. And he had some really interesting things to tell us about what it meant to experience and live true life. In fact, he often would say things that seem almost upside down to what our culture tells us about our life. Listen to what he says. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He also says the first will be last, and the last will become first. And then we heard last week he told us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is what Jesus tells us, but what the world says is, give me more. And Jesus seems to be telling us, Give more, not give me more. And that's what you're going to experience. That's the way you will experience abundant life. So how do we avoid things that hinder the generous life? Things like fear and worry and greed and anxiety and others that can easily distract us from a consistent pattern of of joyfully giving and joyful generosity. I find it comforting to know that Jesus tackled these issues head on. I mean, he spoke about these over and over and over again. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' warning about the pitfalls of our money and our pursuit of stuff. And by moving away from those pitfalls, uh, we'll move naturally towards freedom uh, that comes with the true and a generous life. So when you look at your life, do you consider yourself to be a generous person? Well, probably most of us would hope that we could say, yeah, I I think I'm generous. I think that's what I want to be with my life. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Are you a generous person or are you a hoarder? Well, none of us want to be hoarders, right? I mean, they make TV shows about hoarders, right? That doesn't look to be a good thing in our life. Most people would want to be considered generous with their life and even with their resources. Now, have you ever read a book that has no margins? a book that has no spacing or indentations. Uh, If you have, I bet you didn't read it very long because it's hard to read a book that has no margins. It feels a little chaotic. It feels like it creates anxiety. It's just hard to read. So I I put the passage that was read earlier in the service, I put it on the screen. I want you to see this with no margins, no spacing. Does that look like 
something enjoyable to read. I mean, you can't even see all the words because they go beyond even the edges of the page. That doesn't look like any fun. And, and that's what our life can be like if we fail to steward our financial resources that God gives us in healthy ways. Uh, if we succumb to the pitfalls of the world, the world wants us to believe uh, in, in, about money and about stuff, then we lose margin in our life. Now, again, what's wrong with this text? It has no margin. There's no space to be able to read or to enjoy uh, what's on the screen. Now, I want you to look now at the same text, part of it, on a screen that has margin and spacing. Look how much nicer that is, how much easier it is to read. And, and that's a little bit what, like, like what God wants us to experience with uh, stewardship of our resources. He wants us to have margin in our life uh, so that we have room enough to be able to take care of our own needs, but then also room enough uh, if there we identify other needs or needs in the church or needs in the community, that we have room, we have capacity to be able to, to give and to give generously in those kinds of situations. And yet so many people manage their finances and they leave little or no room uh, to do anything else. And so when the op- opportunity comes up to be generous, there's no space to do so. And while we want to be generous, we're limited by our decisions to share from our resources and we have no 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 margin for generosity. So these pitfalls that cause us to lose healthy margin with managing our finances, I call them generosity busters. And I want us to take a look at a few generosity busters that Jesus speaks directly to in the scriptures. The first idea I want us to think about in terms of a generosity buster is excessive worry. One of the biggest struggles we have as human beings is fear. I mean, fear is just a part of life. And what are we fearful of? Well, part of what we're fearful of is the vulnerability to the harshness of life. And, and worry is the evidence of fear that's in our life. And Jesus speaks to people frequently who are worrying about quite a number of things. They worry about death. They, they worry about having enough to know uh, where their next meal is going to come from or about where shelter or protection is going to come from. And they, they worry about all these things, and, and we're no different today. And we must not pretend that these fears do not exist, that, that they're gnawing at our souls, and that oftentimes they create behaviors that are unhealthy. And we've got to take a little hard look at our tendency to address some of these fears by simply acquiring more wealth or more things, uh, this idea to pursue that stuff. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus' main point there is take a look at the living things of creation. Uh, see, do we see any worry there? And I think, no, we don't. We don't see a creation that worries. We see a creation that's at peace with itself because the Heavenly Father cares for it. The Heavenly Father feeds it. And worrying in this passage, Jesus points out, never extends life by even a single hour. And yet many of us, if we were honest, we would say, yeah, I struggle with worry. 
you'll see us maybe in this way. Uh, we'll work harder and harder to try to make more and more money so that we hope we can be more and more protected. Or maybe we'll keep our eyes on our bank account and worry about how much money is there. Or we'll be mindful of the indicators in the economy and our culture that might predict downturns in the market so that we can save our portfolio. Or we might uh, worry about the value of things that we own and And are they losing value too quickly? And if this kind of worry feeds negative behavior, it can limit our capacity for generosity. People who don't know God or don't believe in God, they can be fantastic worriers. Why? Because they don't know a God or have a sense of a God who cares for them. Because they don't know a God who is intimately aware of their lives. Because they don't know a God who listens and answers prayer. But biblical people are quite different. They're aware of a God who's, who's generous and a God who's a father to all of us. And, and a father of this magnitude, is pr- when he's present to us and we know that, then, then worry can literally melt away like the snow on a warm winter afternoon. It can just dissipate when we know that God is good and God is generous. And so if we want to move away from excessive worry to, to freedom in a generous life, we, understand, we need to understand that generosity flows from a place of trust. When we encounter the generosity of God, we can say with confidence that God is good, that God lavishes his love on his children, that God is a generous father. And when we know those things in the depths of our soul, then generosity just flows out of our being because of that trust that we have in who God is and how he provides for us. But if ultimately we do not trust God, then it's going to be hard for us to be generous with the resources that he gives to us. So the first thing is, if we want to move away from excessive worry and the way that that binds us to a place of freedom, we need to move into that place of trust. And generosity helps us with that. The second generosity buster is this pull of greed that's going on in our lives and even in our culture. Now, if I was to ask you, are you a greedy person? I bet you're not going to stand up and say, oh, yeah, I'm greedy. That's one of my worst sins. Uh, I, you know, I struggle with greed. No, that's, most of us would say, no, I don't, I don't struggle with greed. Now, if I were to ask you, do you struggle with your pursuit for material things? If, are you materialistic? You know, again, I think probably a majority of us would say, no, I'm not materialistic. I don't really struggle with that. But I, maybe some of, a few more of us might admit that, well, I like to have good things, and I like to have nice things, and I always want things to be better, and I want to get more. So, yeah, I do struggle with that. Some of us would say, yeah, I might struggle with that a little bit. But if we're going to be honest, we live in a materialistic culture where identity literally is shaped by the things that we own or the things that we don't own. Or it's shaped by how much we own or how little we own. Now, the rest of the world would look at us as Americans and say, yeah, yeah, you're defined by your pursuit of material things. We're so immit, immersed in this pursuit of material things that we don't even realize if it's a problem or not. I want you to listen to this encounter again that Jesus has with a guy about his pursuit of money. It was read earlier. It comes from Luke chapter 12, verses, verse 13. The scripture tells us, Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So here we learn that these two brothers are obviously locked in in a, a quarrel. And maybe there had been a recent death in the family. We don't know, but this inheritance had come about. 
And the older brother has the inheritance, and that's pretty traditional with that culture. The older brother would get literally the whole inheritance unless the father would designate otherwise. And so we can assume that's going on here because the younger brother doesn't have anything, and he wants a piece of the inheritance. And that's not going so well as he's trying to, uh, you know, lean on the generosity and the mercy of his older brother. It looks like his older brother isn't budging. And so the younger brother comes to Jesus, this great teacher, and he says, Jesus, can you teach us about generosity? Can you tell my brother to give me a little bit of what he has? And so Jesus, instead of picking up this uh, struggle, he refuses to arbitrate what's going on here. But what he does is he offers wisdom to both brothers and I think to everyone uh, who reads this passage. And his principle is watch out for all kinds of greed. And so in this case, there were at least two kinds of greed. You had the older brother who had the inheritance and he wanted to keep the whole thing to himself. He wasn't willing to give any of it to his brother, maybe even to other family members. And so he wants it all. Now, there's the younger brother. He has a problem with greed, too. And you're like, well, why is the younger brother? He doesn't have anything. Well, the younger brother's willing to risk the whole relationship in order to get a portion of the inheritance. You know, both brothers literally are willing to risk their relationship with one another to, for greed. They're willing to risk relationships in their family for that same reason. And, you know, I would say nothing new under the sun. I mean, you still hear about families that wrestle in unhealthy ways about a simple inheritance. And maybe you've been a part of some of those kind of struggles in your own family, and you know it can be really, really tough. So in this situation, we need to understand that greed is the drive to increase our bank account or to increase our wealth or to accumulate as much good stuff as possible. It's this desire for the latest and the greatest, the desire to accumulate more and more. It's one of the most destructive spiritual forces in our world. And it flows from a dark part in our own being that believes that we never have enough, that money or stuff is the solution to all of our problems, and that wealth and material goods are the key to our personal value as people. And when we chase that false dream, we will never have enough, and it will take away the healthy margins that are in our life. So if we're going to move away from this trapping of greed that is so prevalent in our culture, and we're going to move towards freedom away from that thing, the antidote to materialism is generosity. It's generosity. If we're willing to give away some of our stuff, if we're willing to give away our money, then we don't fall uh, in the trap of greed. So if we're going to be in that trap of living a never-ending consumer mentality, we need to prepare ourselves to give away a healthy portion of what we have. And when we give away our money, literally we're saying, hey, we demonstrate that we have control of the use of our financial resources. But when we make decisions where we're going to pursue more and more wealth and we're going to pursue more and more stuff, we get in a place where literally money or the greed for money and more possessions, it controls us, not the other way around. And that's not the way that God designed it to be. And so our greed has control of us. And if we want to move towards freedom, we need to give generously. Well, I want to invite Jeff Dykes to come up. Jeff is a member in our congregation, and Jeff has uh, helped lead or facilitate our financial peace course that we've run for a number of years in our congregation. And, and I just want to invite Jeff and your experience of leading that course and learning. Uh, have you ever seen a situation or have you seen stories in the Bible where somebody's choosing that antidote for materialism and they're choosing to give generously? Yeah, absolutely. Um... Mary, when she anointed Jesus' feet 
with the expensive uh, perfume. Uh, some thought that that was an extravagant gift. I think it's interesting that Jesus defended her actions. But extravagant or not, um, she had she had the perfume and she had the freedom to choose how it should be used. When when we when all of our resources, all of our time, and all of our financial resources are already obligated to just day-to-day expenses and, and maybe repayment of debt, um, we have uh, we really don't have any choice uh, in what's going to happen. And so. Even though we're called to be stewards, being a steward implies having choice. And so we really aren't even able to be a steward if we have no choice. So if we want to just work on being a better steward and, and, and how, to, you know, how to learn how to create margin in our lives uh, and, make, and the ability to make choices with our finances, what would you suggest just practically from your experience about doing that? Well, there's a saying uh, that I love and hate. It says that... Uh, if we keep doing what we've been doing, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. And, and, of course, what that means is if I want things to change, I have to be willing to change. And so uh, I would just tell you that uh, Financial Peace University as a class has helped literally tens of thousands of families um, really have an impact on their finances, their their situation uh, as a family, and even their future financially. And that's really the reason we do the class here at the church is because it works. And it's worked for a lot of other people. It, it may very well work for anyone here. So what I encourage people is we, the class starts a week from Tuesday. It runs nine weeks. Uh, come to the class. Learn what you can learn. Take what you've learned and apply it to your situation. And if it doesn't work, you can go back to doing what you were doing. Okay. There you go. Straight from Jeff. So here's the opportunity. I mean, that's just one practical a thing that we're offering as a church to help people learn about how can I be a better steward of the financial resources that God has given to me. So it starts in a week from Tuesday at 6.30 in our church. And so we just want to encourage you. There's information in the program about how to get connected to that class. It could be a really, really good experience for you to help create uh, better margins in your life. And so we'd encourage you to get involved if it would help you. The third uh, generosity buster I want to look at this morning is the myth of independence. You know, we live in a country that values freedom and independence, and maybe those values are most strongly held in relationship to money. You know, we don't want our government telling us how to spend our money. We don't want to have to give our money to the government. Uh, we don't like it. I can remember when I was young and, and I got my first job. I didn't like it when my parents were telling me how to manage those financial resources. I wanted to do what I wanted to do with that money. My kids are in the same position today. They don't like to hear me talking about how to manage those finances. We probably Some of us don't even like it when our spouse is, is telling us things that we should or shouldn't do with our money. We like freedom. We like independence, especially around money. Well, Jesus tells a parable about a young man that's seeking independence from his father and and having the financial freedom of receiving uh, his inheritance in this parable of the prodigal son. Some of us have heard this parable, and I just want to read a short passage that comes from this parable. It's in Luke 15, verse 13. It says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So this young man now thinks he's, he's independent and he's free to go where he wants to go and he's free to spend his money as he wishes and, and that's what most people would call freedom, right? Lack no accountability, no constraints on life. 
And for what appears to be a, a short period of time, he seems to be living the high life. You know, like he's just indulging in everything. And then yet all of a sudden the good living comes to a pitiful and a humiliating halt in his life. And hard times, hard times came and uh, his funds were exhausted. And the Bible tells us clearly he began to be in need. And none of us likes to be in need, especially, I think, Americans. We just, we just don't like that concept of we may need someone to help us or to support us. And one of the values of money is that it appears to create a certain level of independence. And it's a myth of autonomy that says I don't need anyone and no one's going to intrude upon or control my life. However, just like the prodigal son, sooner or later life shows us in a number of ways that we're not as independent or we're not as protected as we thought. And that money alone can't buy us out of every difficulty or protect us from every situation. And this guy discovers the lesson the hard way, right? I mean, he ends up living uh, with pigs in a place that no Jew would want to ever live. It's like literally a hell for him. And yet this hell is even worse because he doesn't even get to eat as well as the pigs get to eat. And we should look closely at this man in his moment, especially of defeat. He is where all of us end up apart from the grace of God. We all end up there, separated from the grace of God. And he's more—he's in a place that more than a few have found themselves, especially if they've nursed a spirit of arrogance and a lack of humility. And he's not only at that place where he realizes that the only viable option is the road home. He has no other opportunity. He needs help, and Dad, he thinks, is the only one that can offer him help. And there's real freedom that takes place when we realize that we really are dependent upon God for everything that we have, especially when we find ourselves in a place where we have little or no resources. And all of us who are dependent upon God uh, for everything in this life, and the sooner we recognize it, the better prepared we are to realize that we truly are stewards of our resources and not owners. All that we have comes from God. So if we're going to move toward freedom and and move away from this myth of independence, generosity leads us to depend on God. And so we are going to end up there one day sooner or later. And whether we realize that in this life and we we seize that moment or we wait until life comes to an end, we're going to come to that place where we realize we depend upon God. Now the last generosity buster I want us to look at is an enslaved heart. What does your heart pursue more than anything? Whatever that is, that can be our God or our idol. We're told in Matthew again about an encounter that Jesus had with a young man, and it was read earlier in the service. And it's this encounter where this guy comes up and he asks Jesus, he said, Hey, what do I need to do to inherit the good life? And Jesus says, Well, follow all the commands. And the guy says, Well, I I follow all the commands. He says, But what am I still lacking? And Jesus said, well, then go and sell all your possessions and give all your money to the poor and then come and follow me. And then we're told the guy's sad because he has great wealth and he can't do it. This confident young man probably should not have asked Jesus, what does he still lack? Again, he tells him, go sell everything, give it to the poor and then come and follow me. I think it leads to an important question. Does Christ really want any person to have much less enjoy wealth or not? And what does Jesus, why does Jesus give this confrontational command uh, to this young rich ruler when we can look in scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, and we can see godly people who have wealth, who have possessions, and yet God doesn't seem to be commanding them to get rid of all their stuff. And so what's going on here? 
Well, a possible answer is this, that Jesus looked into this man's heart and he knows that his wealth owns him. That he defined himself by his money and his status, or to use religious language, his money and his lifestyle was his God and he worshipped it all. Somehow he had made money an idol, a thing that he worshipped. Now, I don't think I worship money. I don't think that um, money is an idol for me. And yet when I thought about this as I was working on this message, you know, I was kind of giving some thought to that. And I thought, well, you know, if I look deeper, there's probably some cracks in my thinking. Let me explain it this way. I love books. I love to read books. I love, I'm a learner by heart, and I just enjoy reading books. And my family gave me an iPad about four years ago, hoping I would do electronic books, and I tried that. But I love the real thing. I mean, I, I like the physical you know, book that you can open up, pages you can... I love the smell of pages. You think I have a problem? Maybe. So, uh, anyway... Now, books, I mean, I could go to a Barnes & Noble bookstore, and I could get lost to that place for days. Literally, if you gave me food and water and a comfortable chair to take a nap in, weeks, maybe months, I could hang out there. Uh, I could spend money on books like nothing. I mean, I could buy a book a day and never give it a second thought. And, you know, my family, uh, anytime we ever move as a family, we've moved three times, they hate that I love books. Because if you move and you've got somebody that loves books... All of a sudden, you're hauling around these huge cartons of heavy books. And so my wife, when we decided we were moving to Salina, we were going to take this call, uh, Diane told me, she said, why don't you go through all your books and get rid of the ones you don't need or you don't want? And so I grumbled. I, uh, I don't, you know. And so then I went and did it. I, was, I did it. And I went through all my books, and I think Diane thought or hoped that I would get rid of a quarter, maybe a third of my books. But, you know, I found 10 or 15 that I felt like I could finally... I, I could maybe get rid of those few books. And so we ended up moving all those books. Why do I tell you this story? Well, again, there's no thought for me to spend money or time in books. And and that could be a situation that could lead to an idol. Uh, You know, so here's the example. If Jesus came to me like he did the young ruler and he said, Wes, in order for you to have the good life, I want you to go and sell all your books and come and follow me. I would hesitate. I would. It would be a hard thing for me to do. And so whatever it is that you could give countless dollars or countless money or countless hours without even a thought, that thing could become an idol in your life. And that's the thing that Jesus says, don't make that the priority. Don't put that in front of me. Now, you can be glad that I I have a tool or a resource in my life that keeps me from falling into that trap of making books my idol. It's a four letter uh, tool. I'll give it, give you the hint here. It's a, it's spelled W I F E. Okay. So Diane keeps me from going down and stumbling in that road. Now as would be uh, generous givers, we should continually have this story of the rich young ruler in the back of our mind because it speaks to the temptation of any person that has means. And when I mean any person that has means, I'm probably speaking to 95% of us who are in this room today. If I came to you and asked you, are you wealthy, I would say the vast majority of you would tell me, no, I'm, I'm not wealthy. I know somebody who's wealthy, and I'm not wealthy. But, you know, if we were to look at our lives through the lens of the world, here's what I would tell you. If you make the average salary of an American or more, that puts you in the top 10, at, le- at least top 10, maybe top 5% of the world's earners in income today. And the rest of the world would look at us and say, you're wealthy. 
You've got a lot of money. You've got a lot of resources. Think about this. If you make $25,000 or more as a family unit, it puts you in the top one-third of the world in, world, in, in earning income. We're wealthy. The problem is we live in one of the most wealthy countries in the world, and so we compare ourselves to each other. We don't get out of our context and we realize we got a lot of resources. So what, does Jesus tell us we should not be wealthy? I don't believe that's what he's saying. What he literally is saying is make me the priority of your life. Don't make wealth. Don't make pursuit of money. Don't make the pursuit of possessions and material goods a high priority. Those things should not be at the top of your list. They should be way, way down. Make me the priority, and you'll experience the good life, the generous life. So when does all this become a God to me or to you? And what if Jesus were to put the challenge to me or to you that he put to the young ruler? Scripture teaches us we can't serve God and money. Is your heart easily captured by the pursuit of wealth or possessions like the rich young ruler? If we practice an attitude of gratefulness to God for all that we have and understand that that our position as stewards of God's resources and that we are not the primary owner, then we truly can move toward freedom with our resources. And moving toward freedom, generosity helps us free us from the dangers of money. A truly generous spirit starts with a committed life to Christ, to seeking and following Jesus. And generosity is really hard if we're not following Christ in our life. It's hard for us to manufacture that from our own effort. But it literally comes from a reservoir of gratitude for what God has done for us. It springs from a life that's been transformed by experiencing God's love and his mercy and his grace and experiencing his presence in our life. And if we've experienced those things, then generosity just flows because we know that God is good. And we can a place where we can emphatically trust that God is good and that God is a generous father to all of us. We give because he first gave to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to hear again what Jesus has to say about money, about wealth, about pursuit of possessions, and, and to hear from Christ that that, that thing really, those things will really not bring true life, a fulfilling life. But God, that pursuing you and your priorities in our life will bring fulfillment and joy that is never ending. And that, God, when we know you and experience your love and your generosity in our lives, God, that we can trust that you're good. And that we can follow your pattern of being a generous person, uh, a generous giver. And that all that we have, uh, while it blesses us, it doesn't necessarily have to be all of ours. And we can bless others. God, help us to live lives that are generous. Help us to experience that out of your generosity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close this morning, I want to invite our prayer team to go ahead and gather uh, to the hallway to the right. And if you're someone who might be in need of prayer this morning, you can go there after the service is over. They'd be glad to listen to you and minister to you by offering prayer for you. And as we close this morning, I just want to touch on uh, one of the things that Jesus was telling us in Scripture. He was saying to us, hey, don't worry. You know, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Uh, those are the things that the unbelievers pursue or chase after. He said, instead, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of all those other things for you. 
So as we leave this morning, I just want to encourage you to walk into and live into trusting and pursuing God with all of your life and to experience the generous and the abundant life that Christ gives to all of us. Amen.